Welcome to Seeking God, a Jesuit Retreat, presented by the Jesuit Post. In this series, you'll be guided through the dynamics of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola in the form of a preached retreat. Join us to listen, reflect, and pray. Greetings. My name is Brian Strasberger, and I'm with the Jesuit Post. Thanks for joining me for the fourth talk of Seeking God, a Jesuit Retreat. The title of this talk is The Second Week, Part 2, How to Stay on the Path. In the last talk, we shifted into the second week of the spiritual exercises, and we will stay there for this talk as well. I hope you were able to spend some time with the three important meditations from the last talk. The Meditation on the Incarnation, the Call of the King, and the Two Standards. There are many competing voices in our lives that pull us in different directions on our journey of faith. These meditations help us to reflect on why we walk this path and not another. God enters into the mess of our lives and invites us to follow the call of the King and serve under the standard of Jesus. So, we've reflected on why we walk this path and not another. As we continue in the second week of the spiritual exercises, we're going to focus on an important follow-up, how to stay on the path. The first part of this talk will be on the discernment of spirits, and the second part will be about friends in faith who show us how to stay on the path to God. So, let's begin with the discernment of spirits. When I use the word spirits here, I'm talking about things that guide us and pull us in different directions. Not ghosts that float around us, but the internal movements that affect our decision-making. St. Ignatius focused on two spirits that are at play, the good spirit and the false spirit. The good spirit encourages choices that draw us closer to God and help us to grow in faith, hope, and love. The false spirit encourages choices that lead us away from God and weaken our faith, hope, and love. These two spirits are at work in our daily life and decision-making as we walk our journey of faith. We need to be attentive and discerning about how these different spirits are calling us. Even when we know the right path to walk, even when we are well aware of the call of the King and desire to serve under the standard of Jesus, it's still a daily challenge. It takes daily effort to stay on the right path. Isn't that true? We've already talked about the many obstacles that we confront that lead us off the right path. We are tempted into sin, where we turn our back to God and go in the opposite direction. Oftentimes, we get distracted by the pursuit of false idols and stray from the path, chasing something else other than God. These are the ways that the false spirit influences our decision-making and leads us astray. So, we need an attentiveness to the movements of the good spirit and the false spirit in our lives. In order to respond to the good spirit, resist the strategies of the false spirit, and stay on the path that God calls us to follow. The most basic choices that we have to make are between good and evil. Lots of times, this is the most obvious choice to make. Do good, avoid evil. 
Like say for example, you walk into an Apple store and see the newest iPhone. The false spirit might encourage you to just slip that phone into your coat pocket and walk out the store. Meanwhile, the good, spi- the good spirit is telling you, that's stealing. This is discernment of spirits at its most basic level. Follow the good spirit. Do good and avoid evil. But as we talked about with the meditation on the two standards, the false spirit can be very sneaky in tempting us. The path of Lucifer can often look very attractive. Riches, honor, pride. The false spirit can be attracting us away from the path that is centered on God and invite us down a path where we become increasingly focused on ourselves and what we want and how we want to live. The false spirit leads us away from God, and we can find our faith, hope, and love being weakened. If we start to pursue riches and honors in an unhealthy way, we might notice that our faithfulness to prayer and going to Mass starts to waver. We might find ourselves being less charitable and loving to other people, whether that's co-workers or friends or even our loved ones. If people start to get in the way of our unhealthy pursuit of riches and honor, we can get angered and annoyed at them. That can be a sure sign that we've been following the false spirit. That's why we need to be attentive to these movements in our life, because they can be at work even in sneaky ways, leading us to stray from the right path. But the discernment of spirits is not just about making choices between good and evil. In all those cases, it's clear that we want to choose the good and avoid the evil. Although sometimes the false spirit can make the wrong choices look appealing and enticing. But what about choosing between goods? Many of the most difficult decisions that we have to face in life are choices between two goods. You get two different job offers. Which one do you take? You're thinking about moving to a new neighborhood or a new city. Where do you go? The discernment of spirits can even help us with these choices, with choosing between goods. The goal of any discernment is to be attentive to the movement of spirits and to uncover your own deep desires. That's where we find God, in our deepest desires. When we're trying to uncover God's will, We don't need to look up to the clouds, hoping the skies will open and Jesus himself will speak down to us. Take this job and not the other one. Instead, we need to look inward towards the deepest stirrings of our heart. That is where we encounter God, in the good spirit, urging us to deepen our relationship with God. Look, God isn't playing a game of poker with us. It's not like God's hiding the cards from view, you know, wondering if we'll guess the right choice or not. No, God plays poker with his cards flipped over. God's at work in our lives and wants us to know it. The false spirit tries to interfere with that and puts up barriers to our discernment. But if we can be attentive to the movements of the spirit, listen to our own deep desires, and follow the good spirit, we will always be walking on a path toward God. Let me take a moment to expand our analogy of hiking through the woods on our journey of faith. In the previous talk, I spoke about our journey of faith as following the one right path to God. The call of the king invites us to walk this path rather than another. Well, the truth is more complex than that. 
In a narrow sense, there is only one right path, and that is the path that leads to God. But in a bigger way, there are many paths that lead to God. Just as there are many false idols and many ways to stray from a path to God, or even to turn around and go the other way, so too there are many ways to stay on a path heading to God. It's like reaching a point in the hike where the trail splits two ways. But you survey the map and you realize that they both end up in the same place. Sure, they offer different scenery and views, but they get you to the exact same place. That's when you have to make a choice, not between the right path and the wrong path, but between two right paths. You have to make a choice between goods. Discernment of spirits can help us with these choices. Let's look at the example of St. Ignatius himself and how he came to uncover the working of the good spirit and false spirit in his life. As I talked about before, St. Ignatius was injured badly in the Battle of Pamplona. He was struck with a cannonball that shattered one of his legs completely and severely wounded the other. After he was hit, his troops surrendered and lost the battle to the French army. But the French were so impressed with Ignatius' valor in battle that they sent him home to Loyola to recover from his terrible wounds. So there was Ignatius, recovering from these terrible injuries to his legs. The doctors had to re-break his legs in order to reset the bones that they might heal properly. All of this is without the help of anesthesia. As you can imagine, this was a terribly painful project, and Ignatius faced a long road to recovery. He was completely bedridden. And obviously this was long before the time of TVs and internet, so Ignatius wasn't able to binge watch Game of Thrones, although I'm sure that's what he would have liked to do. Instead, he asked for whatever books the house might have on knights and tales of bravery. Huh. Unfortunately for Ignatius, the house in Loyola only had two books in it. Printed books, of course, were very rare in those days and expensive. There was no Amazon Prime. One of the books was on the life of Christ, and the other book was on the lives of the saints. Not exactly tales of knights in shining armor, saving damsels in distress and becoming kings. But what other options did he have? So Ignatius began reading these books. He started to take interest in the stories contained in them. And after reading, he would pause and begin daydreaming about the things that he had read about the life of Christ and the lives of the saints. At other times, he would fall into daydreams about the worldly things that had been so important to him. He dreamed about working in the service of a woman in the royal household. He thought about traveling to the land where she lived, the clever words and phrases he would use to impress her, and the great knightly deeds he would perform for her. These daydreams could last for two or three hours at a time, until they would drift away and he'd start thinking about the stories from the books once again. While reading the books, he would dream about what it would be like to imitate the great saints, St. Francis of Assisi, St. Dominic. He would imagine himself replicating their acts of holiness and charity, of undertaking difficult penances and spending hours in prayer, and dreaming of ways to do even greater things than them. These daydreams would also last for a long time, until they would drift away and he would think again of worldly pursuits. Well, this back-and-forth succession would play out over long sessions of time before he would set them aside to think about other matters. Can you relate to that? Do you ever catch yourself daydreaming? I certainly do. Well, Ignatius began to notice a difference. When he thought about the worldly dreams, he would enjoy them well enough. 
But after dismissing them and moving on, he would notice himself to be dry and unhappy. He called this desolation. In contrast, when he imagined taking a pilgrimage to the Holy Land and imitating the saints, he not only enjoyed the daydreams, but even after he moved on, he would notice himself remain happy and joyful. He called this consolation. From reflecting on these movements, he came to understand the spirits working in him, the good spirit and the false spirit. As much as the false spirit might inspire some good feelings in him, it wouldn't have a deeper effect on him, and he would end up in desolation and dryness. But when he dreamed of imitating the saints, the good spirit helped to stir up lasting feelings of peace and joy, leaving him in a state of consolation. He was becoming attentive not only to his surface-level desires, but to his deepest desires. We can do this too. Ignatius began writing down his thoughts on this, and this became some of the beginnings of his instructions on the discernment of spirits. So what does he mean exactly by desolation and consolation? Ignatius describes desolations as the feelings that turn us in on ourselves instead of focusing on God. We start to feel distant and disconnected from God. Over time, we might cut ourselves off from community. We might even give up on the things that used to be important to us. Ignatius describes consolation as the feelings that direct our focus outside and beyond ourselves with God at the center. We see where God is active in our life and where God is leading us. Over time, we might bond more closely with our community. We might find new inspiration and new ideas. Reflecting on his own movements of consolation and desolation, Ignatius resolved to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land when his recovery was complete and to dedicate his life to God rather than the royal courts of Spain. Two important things to note here. First, in a sense, Ignatius was choosing between goods. It can be a good and noble life to be involved in the royal court, to be a courageous soldier, to get married to a wonderful spouse and raise a family together. These are not bad things. And obviously, imitating St. Francis and St. Dominic is also a good thing. But it's definitely not for everybody. So discerning between these paths was a discernment between goods. Now, that being said, Ignatius' own courtly life wasn't all good, noble, and holy. He got himself into plenty of trouble and definitely spent too much time chasing after riches, honor, and pride. So for him, for St. Ignatius, it wasn't the best path for him to follow in order to grow closer to God. And he had a sense of the good spirit inviting him through his own deepest desires, confirmed by feelings of consolation, to consider a different path. For Ignatius, the religious life was a better path. And being attentive to the movements of spirit, the movement of spirits, he was able to see that and follow that call. The second thing to note is that desolation is not the same thing as depression. Depression is a mood disorder that can come from a combination of biological, psychological, and social sources of distress. It can include persistent feelings of sadness or loss of interest. It can be a diagnosable and treatable clinical disorder due to, among other things, imbalances in the neural circuits of the brain. That's serious stuff. And it's worth seeing a professional about if you're experiencing clinical depression. That's not something that you need to handle on your own. Get help. Desolation, as we're talking about it, is something different. It's more of a spiritual state than a psychological one. 
It's a feeling of distance and disconnect from God. It might include some feelings of sadness or anxiety or unease, but mostly it's a kind of movement of the Spirit that turns us away from God and in on ourselves, thinking of ourselves more, rather than cultivating humility, where we think about ourselves less often. Let me offer you a couple of methods of discernment that Ignatius includes in the spiritual exercises. Maybe you're faced with making a choice between goods and you're looking for some ways to help you discern where the good spirit is calling you to go. Maybe you're choosing between two good paths, but trying to discern which one is best for you. Well, Ignatius offers three concrete methods that can help you out in this kind of situation. Let's pretend you're trying to decide between two good job offers, okay? The first technique is to use your reason and logic by making a list of pros and cons. It might seem simple and obvious, but it can be a big help to think through those things. What are the pros and cons of each job? Literally write them down on a list and compare them with one another. See how that helps you. Second, Ignatius encourages us to imagine giving advice to someone else on the choice that we're trying to make. Often it's way easier for us to give advice to someone else than it is for us to make decisions in our own lives. So, pretend a friend has come to you asking which of these two jobs to take. Imagine what words of advice you might offer to him or her, and which of the two jobs you would recommend. Reflecting on this can help to reveal your own deeper feelings. Lastly, Ignatius invites us to imagine how we would like to look back on this decision later in life. He suggests thinking about it from your deathbed, but it doesn't have to be that dramatic. Just picture yourself five, ten years down the road. How would you want to look back at this discernment? Which choice would you have wanted to make? It's a way to imagine that the choice has already been made and to see how it leaves you feeling. Do you feel stirred by the good spirit towards consolation or by the false spirit towards desolation? Be attentive to the movements of spirits as you go through any one of these methods of discernment. Those are three methods that might help you. A pros and cons list, imagining giving advice to a friend, and imagining reflecting back from some time in the future. Whatever method you use, once you make a tough decision, a good practice is to ask God for the grace of consolation as a way to get confirmation of a good discernment. This is different than telling God what sign to give you to point you a particular way. This is more about the feelings that you get once you've gone through the discernment and make a confident decision. Just ask God for confirmation. Let God take it from there. If you feel the peace and joy of consolation, that's a sure sign of a good discernment. Now let's move on to the second part of this talk and discuss friends in faith. During the 30-day retreat, a large chunk of the second week is devoted to praying over the life of Jesus that is revealed to us in the Gospels. This experience helps to deepen our relationship with Jesus as we accompany him through the stories of his life and ministry. We pray for the grace to know Jesus more intimately, to love him more devotedly, and to follow him more completely. By spending time with Jesus and praying with the events of his life, we can learn how Jesus lived. This can help us to develop an authentic friendship with Jesus in our life, which helps us to stay on the right path.
As part of the spiritual exercises, St. Ignatius invites us to pray a lot with the Gospels. To do this, Ignatius encourages us to use our imaginations, to picture the scenes of Jesus' life that we read in the Gospels, and then place ourselves in the midst of them. We can take the images deeper and deeper until we immerse ourselves in the scene through our imagination and begin interacting with other people, including Jesus himself. Maybe you've tried this form of contemplation before. Maybe it's a regular part of your prayer life. Or maybe it's completely new to you. Let me offer a brief introduction to this form of Ignatian prayer. First of all, it's important to note that St. Ignatius places a lot of trust in our imagination. Our our imagination, after all, is a gift from God. God can work through it, and God can use it to communicate with us. When we use our imagination in a prayerful and intentional way, we can trust that this is an authentic way for God to reach out to us and for us to deepen our relationship with God. The second point to note is that you don't have to be worried about the historical accuracy of the gospel passage when you're using your imagination. If you're imagining a scene from the gospel, you don't have to worry about getting the clothing right or the architecture or whatever. If it's more helpful for you to use a place that you've been to or a scene you know from your own life, you can use that to help you create the scene in your imagination. Remember, this is about getting in touch with God, not presenting a historical documentary. So how exactly does it work? You start by choosing a gospel passage and reading it very slowly. You can do this with just about any passage in the gospel, especially the many stories of Jesus' life and ministry. On the first time through, read the whole story slowly. Then, read it again, trying to imagine the scene in its many details. Ask yourself leading questions as you compose the scene. Where am I? What does the scene look like? What time of day is it? What is the weather like? Who else is here? What do they look like? What are they wearing? What sounds do I hear or smells? Take your time with it. And as you compose the scene, enter into it. Don't just remain some distant observer like watching a television show. Become a part of the scene as one of the characters in it. Reflect on how you feel in the the midst of the events that play out. This whole exercise might take you 15 minutes or half an hour, or maybe more if you have a really active and engaged imagination. As the gospel story becomes familiar from rereading it, move beyond just the events of the text and enter more deeply into your imagination and into the story. Fill in the details that aren't included in the text. Then have conversations with the people who are in your imagination, with one of the disciples maybe, with Mary, and especially with Jesus himself. The purpose is to enter the scene in a deep and profound way as though you are part of it. And then use your imagination to get to know Jesus and the other important people in the gospel stories. This helps us to deepen our friendship with Jesus. So be attentive to how Jesus is acting. Talk to him, but also listen to what he has to say to you. You can learn from him and the way that he lived. These lessons can be helpful as we walk our journey of faith. This method of prayer is definitely not for everyone. There are many ways to pray in general, and there are many ways to pray with Scripture. Ignatian contemplation is just one way that you might find helpful. If you haven't tried using it before, give it a try. Even if it's been a few years since you've tried it out, it might be worth trying again. Most importantly, though, 
engage the scripture in a way that's most conducive to growing your relationship with Jesus. That's what matters most. Deepening our friendship with Jesus helps us to continue on a path to God in our journey of faith. Let's go back to our analogy of the journey of faith being like a long hike because there's more to add. At the start of this talk, I discussed how there is, isn't just one right path, but many right paths. And the discernment of spirits involves choosing among the good paths to find what's best for you. Well, there's another way that we need to expand this analogy. Up until now, I basically presented this analogy as though we are walking alone on our path, on our journey to God. Well, that's certainly not true in our life of faith. We don't make this journey alone. Far from it. We have many companions on the journey, starting, of course, with Jesus himself. But it also includes family and friends and others who encourage and guide us and walk with us on our journey of faith. I want to reflect on three different groups of friends in faith that can help us on our journey. The friends of Jesus in the Gospels, the communion of saints, and our own family and friends. We are not alone, and neither was Jesus. One of the first things he did when he began his public ministry was find people to join him. He called his first disciples, as I described in the last talk. Come, and you will see. Follow me. He surrounded himself with his 12 apostles and many others. Jesus had friends. Peter, James, and John, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, Mary Magdalene. Jesus did not walk alone on his journey of faith, and neither do we. As you spend some time with scripture passages from the life of Jesus, pay attention to Jesus' friends. Ask yourself, who are the friends of Jesus in this passage? What are they like? What can I learn from them? Paying attention to Jesus' friends and how they behave can be helpful for us as we travel along on our journey of faith. They can be examples for us in how to stay on the path to God and how to be friends of Jesus. Pray with the scripture stories, like the ones about Martha and Mary and Lazarus, or when Jesus walks on water, or the feeding of the 5,000. By reflecting on the friends of Jesus that we encounter in these stories, we can learn what it means to be a friend of Jesus. And we can reflect on the ways that we might act similarly in our own lives in order to deepen our friendship with Jesus. The friends of Jesus in the gospel aren't the only examples that we have for how to stay on the path to God. We also have the whole communion of saints, from St. Ignatius of Loyola to St. Augustine, from St. Therese of Lisieux to St. Catherine of Siena. There are an abundance of remarkable saints that we can turn to as examples for how to stay on the right path to God. Who are your favorite saints? Saints can be inspiring figures on our journey of faith. But we also have to remember an important truth. You don't have to imitate a saint to become one. You just have to be your best self. You don't have to walk the same path to God that your favorite saint walked. You have to walk the path to God that's laid out for you. That's, why we, that's what we really celebrate with the communion of the saints. They are not copies or imitations of each other. There's a tremendous diversity among the saints. What marks each one of them is that they had a deep relationship with God and they responded to what God's call was for them in their own lives. They were discerning about where the good spirit was leading them. They were attentive to their deepest desires. Even when choosing among goods, they followed the path that was best for them. So all the saints are holy people, 
but they did not all live the exact same way. Imagine if someone told Thomas Aquinas, get out of the library and onto the streets. You have to spend more time serving the poor. We would have been robbed of one of the great doctors of the church. Or imagine if someone had told Mother Teresa, enough of this useless care for the dying. We need more scholarly theology. We would have lost one of the great saints of our time. The beauty and richness of Christian life comes in its diversity. God isn't calling me to be the next Thomas Aquinas or Mother Teresa. We already have them. God is calling me. He's calling each one of us to be a saint, but not just to imitate one. No, God calls us to be our best, most authentic self. Saints can help us on the journey as we reflect on the way that they follow the path to God. For example, Thomas Aquinas's tremendous devotion to theological studies and the way that he makes complex ideas accessible inspire me as I study theology as part of my Jesuit formation. And Mother Teresa's humility, simplicity, and devotion to the poor continue to inspire me to be a more loving person. But I don't have to become either one of them. What I have to do is respond to the movements of the Good Spirit in my own heart that are guiding me as I continue on my journey of faith. And the same goes for each one of you. It's great to have good examples for us as we're discerning our path, whether that's Jesus himself, the friends of Jesus in the Gospels, or our favorite saints. But we also have people that are with us here and now, helping us on our journey of faith. This is the last group of friends in faith that I want to talk about, our actual family and friends. When I think about the people who have guided and encouraged me in my journey of faith, I have to start with my parents. It was important to both of them to bring up their kids in the Catholic faith. A lot of people ask me now if my parents are supportive of my religious vocation to the Jesuits. Well, when I first told them that I had made the decision to apply to enter the novitiate, my mom's very first words were, what about my grandkids? But honestly, since that first question, my parents have been extremely supportive. That's not the case with every Jesuit that I know. Not every parent is a faithful Catholic. Not every parent wants their son or daughter to be a vowed religious who can't visit home often, for example. But my parents have come to appreciate and support my religious vocation, in large part because I think they see how it, how it is the right path, the best path for me in my journey of faith. Friends and family can really help to support and encourage us in our journey of faith. We don't have to walk this journey alone. There are others who are walking it with us. So who are the people who have supported and encouraged you? How, are you? how were your parents influential in your journey of faith? Or maybe your grandparents? Were you raised Catholic or did you convert later in life? If you converted to the faith, who has helped you and supported you on that path? As we think about all the people who are friends in faith in our lives, it's important to acknowledge another fundamental truth. We are friends in faith for others. We offer guidance, support, and encouragement to other people who are on their own journey of faith. This is a beautiful thing. Sometimes it's really clear to us how we're supporting others in their faith, like serving as a sponsor for someone who's joining the church. Sometimes it's not so clear. Sometimes we can get frustrated if someone that we love and care about has strayed on their path or has fallen away from the faith. We have to remind ourselves that we are not the savior of the world. We are not the main actor. But we do have a supporting role, and that's so important. By being a friend in faith to others, 
even those disconnected from God, we are supporting God's master plan. By being a friend in faith to someone who has left the church, we help them to stay connected to the faith and connected to God. Even if that person is not at a place to say yes to all that right now, we have to trust that God is working through those relationships. Who are the people in your life that you serve as a friend in the faith? Your kids? Other family and friends? People at your local parish? In your neighborhood? At work? It's important to recognize, acknowledge that you are a friend in faith for many people. And that's a great way to play a supporting role for God's work in our lives and the lives of others. There are lots of paths to choose between on our journey of faith. The reality is that there isn't just one right path and one wrong path. There are a multitude of paths before us. The discernment of spirits and the examples of friends in faith help us to navigate through this multitude of paths in order to continue on our path to God. Spend some time before listening to the next talk reflecting on the workings of the good spirit and the false spirit in your life. If something is making you more anxious and combative in relationships, that might be the false spirit at work. If something brings you a deep sense of peace and comfort, that might be the good spirit at work. Where do you see the false spirit and good spirit at work in your life? What strategies does the false spirit like to use to lead you away from God and to make you focus more on yourself? How does the false spirit try to lead you astray in sneaky and subtle ways? Where do you most clearly see the good spirit at work in your life? How are you responding to its urgings? The other important help that we have in keeping us on the path to God is our friends in faith. We don't walk this journey alone. The most important friendship is our friendship with Jesus. I invite you to spend time getting to know Jesus better. If it's helpful, use Ignatian contemplation to enter into the scenes. Spend time with Jesus. Deepen your friendship. Along with our friendship with Jesus, there are many other people who walk with us on this journey of faith. We can look to friends of Jesus in the Gospels. We can look to the examples of the saints in all their diversity. And we can look to our family and friends who guide and encourage us on our journey of faith. Spend time reflecting on these many friends in faith and how they inspire you and help you stay on the path to God. Included in the notes are a series of suggested scripture texts that you might want to read and pray with. I also added some points for reflection that include the questions to pray with before moving on to the next talk. Use these resources so far as they are helpful. When you're ready, join me for the fifth talk titled, The Third Week, Where the Lord is Leading Us. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, amen.